and welcome to the Verity Light Poetry Podcast. I'm Alice Allen. In this podcast, we interview poets who've been published in the journal and we discuss work that's important to them. In this episode, I chat with David Stavanger, who's co-director of the Queensland Poetry Festival. I'm joined in this episode too by poet Tim Heffernan, who's one of the editors of our Clozapine Clinic project which seeks to publish writing which engages with the experiences of individual and societal madness. In this first part of our discussion, David talks about the launch of the Queensland Poetry Festival, which will involve the Clozapine Clinic this year, and the theme of the festival, which is Distant Voices. really want to dive straight into talking about the Queensland Poetry Festival program because it's just come out today and it looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, we're hugely excited about it. We literally just launched it last night. I'm still in my pyjamas, having had a chance to really even process the fact it exists because poetry festivals are ephemeral, um, ephemeral things. Um, so, yeah. There's always a sense of this temporary thing of you launching something that's going to pass pass quickly. But yeah, it's um, this year's festival. It's the 21st uh, Queensland Poetry Festival, but it's really evolved in the last five years in terms of its scope. And um, this year's theme, Distant Voices, has a lot of different nuances and threads to it. And we're really excited, not just by the kind of marquee big names, but a lot of uh, what the program contains in terms of... Um, yeah, possibilities and, and smaller artists and artists that come from a point of experience that aren't maybe usually seen in the bigger writing festivals. Fantastic. Yeah, and speaking of those smaller events, maybe I could get you to talk a little bit about the Clozapine Clinic workshops that are going to be taking place. I can give some context as to why the Clozapine Clinic is coming up to Queensland Poetry Festival. I was fortunate to come down as, as an artist, and I don't do a lot of my own art at the moment, being in the role with the festivals, quite time-consuming to the Wollongong Writers' Festival, and they had a mad poets reading, which uh, Tim, uh, Elise Blaney, and Ariel uh, Riveros were all part of, and um, as was another writer, Philip Hall. And I was particularly affected by the gathering of writers who've had institutional experiences reclaiming that experience and language and responding to that experience in institutional language through poetry something that is of real interest in my own work and um yeah we just went out, went out of our way to ensure even though it can be really hard for small to medium festivals to bring up ensembles of writers um bring this group up collectively to do a clozapine clinic uh, readings, Clozapine Clinic panel. We're doing a pre-hotel film session where we're going to show the film about Ben Freider. I think his poem, The Argument, is one of the great, not just a great surrealist Australian poems, but one of the great poems by any Australian poet of any era. And uh, Elise, um, who was his partner, is going to talk about um, the film Ben and also the kind of schizo vernacular, you know, the, the way language uh, sits within the mentally ill and within the mental me, mental health framework. So they're themes that we, uh, both Annie and I, truly deeply care about. 
this kind of we don't want to exoticize the voice of the other we want to give platforms for them and for us to all uh, delve into this work and this language not to mention they're all fine poets in their own right i was blown away by that by that reading it was one of my favorite events in wollongong last year yeah so the theme of the festival this year is distant voices and you mentioned the place of the other there when you were talking about the clozapine clinic workshops can you talk a little bit more about the place of the other in the festival as a whole? Queensland Poetry Festival, uh, I think, had a very strong history as a poetry festival for poets. And while that's a that's, while that's a fantastic thing, and I've been around the Brisbane poetry scene, for example, for over a decade myself, um, there are a lot of voices that sometimes get have been missed out. Uh, I think within a festival framework and there are less and less poetry festivals there used to be six or seven now there are a lot less in australia there's a fantastic one in perth there's one in tassie but really opportunities for poets are few and far between and even more so i think we're seeing a cultural shift where we want to see more diverse voices and there's been a real focus since we've been directors over the last three years of really bringing indigenous uh, voices to the fore we have an indigenous poet in residence program that is now permanently uh sponsored this year's uh resident poet is ali cobby eckerman we had a real we're having a real focus this year on culturally diverse and refugee uh voices and i think that's particularly pertinent um politically and culturally right now so we have writing through fences uh poets who are ex-detainees uh, amazing poet Janet Galbraith runs that program, and that'll include films and poems from people who are ex and currently in detention in Nauru. Um, we have poetry in the minefields with Haida poets who are actually, they're going to be reading the poetry of poets who are actually reading poems in Iraq right now within uh, settings such as minefields. Poets, poets who've experienced uh, chronic physical illness as well um there's an amazing artist like annie jackson and quinn eads who look at what is the body in poetry and writing from the body not just about the body and exploring it through different mediums so uh we're working with peril uh asian australian magazine amazing magazine and they're exploring um the theme no more asians except the word is spelled n uh, sorry k-n-o-w which is Poets love a great pun, or at least they should. Um, just the idea of, you know, and also what is poetry as a form, stretching the possibilities. I think in the past there's been a, a limited view of what poetry can be, and not only does it incorporate spoken word, but it's a very broad continuum now, and we want to allow an audience to define it uh, more than the poets themselves, I suppose. In this next part of our episode, Tim asks David how the poem The Electric Journal, which was published on Veritila earlier this year, came to be. David also reads the poem for us. And just a quick note that this section does involve some strong language. My question to David, and I've always had difficulty asking questions because I'm always seeking answers, is... ECT, how the fuck can you write a poem about ECT? Well, ECT certainly not an 80s band. Um, you know, there was ABC, 
Uh, I wish ECT was an 80s band, but um, yes. Uh, how the fuck do you write a poem about ECT? I, I feel like um, there is something shifting about the possibilities about in regards to the way art can respond to uh, the mental health uh, system and its relationship to capitalism and its, what uh, in my opinion, uh, financially driven motives. And for me, as somebody who, yes, came in counter with the public health system and was coerced, in my opinion, into having multiple ECT treatments, I needed to document that experience for myself, for my partner, just to get past the absurdity that it somehow I had got to a place where this had occurred. A lot of that poem, The Electric Journal, over half of it, I don't recall writing. Uh, I, I still read it now to try and remember uh, that particular experience. I'm a huge, I'm hugely, a huge opponent of ECT. Um, I think it comes under, you know, inhumane treatments of human beings. And I think if people don't write about these things, um, they're going to continue. And I am lucky enough to have the vocabulary and a small degree of influence, very small, and also a particular gallows humour, which I think you'll find that anyone who's been through any kind of traumatic experience, a gallows humour, a dark humour, is a great way to sort of respond to these things and it makes it accessible for others. So, um, yeah, I, don't, I've, I, I felt it really necessary to write about it. And, it and it wasn't cathartic, it was a documentation. I didn't really expect to do anything with it. But then the fantastic poet Jennifer Compton, one of my favourite writers, I read it in Canberra at the Noted Festival and she just said to me, You've got to do something with that. You've got to enter it in your Castle Poetry Prize. I don't usually enter in prizes. I submit poetry very rarely. And we need those mentors to push us to do that. And it got shortlisted, which was a really beautiful but unnecessary surprise. Actually, having it up online on Verity La means more to me because of the poets that have then responded to me saying, I've had these similar experiences. This allows me to now write about uh, this on my own terms. And that's what it's really about, writing about these experiences on your own terms, particularly in relation to a system where nothing is on your terms. The longest poem I've ever written, so I'll just read an excerpt from, from the start and maybe a little bit from the towards the end. Um, time kind of becomes quite surreal in this piece because I think when um, I was also on, and I will use the word coerced onto um, a number of antipsychotics during this period as well. So hence time becomes quite strange, as I know Tim understands even better than me. Um, that the combination of ECT and, and aggressive use of antipsychotics leads to, to timing come quite distorted. 
so it doesn't really matter. I could start the poem anywhere, really, and, and you'd be starting where it finished, if that makes any sense, which it doesn't, which is mental health. This is the poem called The Electric Journal. Day. I become treatment resistant to drugs. They advise me I would be better served with other recreational pursuits. Days. They are talking up the effectiveness of brain damage. I recall a child I knew in my street who could nosebleed on the spot. I see the color red. Two of them sit in the room with me. The door is on the other side of their intentions. They are common, persistent, and significant people that I will see for the rest of my life. Day. I am considered an excellent candidate for ECT. I am thrilled. My arts degree has come to something after all. I hold off calling my mother and friends. Day. The drip is in your arm. You watch the way even water can be taken from rain. When faced with the truth, it is better to focus on symptoms. Day. A tiny prick than a hot-blooded war. Night. I state that I was not harmed. This is part of the process. I keep repeating this as I walk around the house trying to find where I live. Day. The next day I feel like a seedless watermelon. Opponents claim this apparent improvement is an example of post-concussion euphoria. The effects are short-lived. Soon dark seeds return to the pink fruit. Day. Remission rates are encouraging. I sit in the waiting room with my name on my wrists in case I forget what names are for. Your name is not yours once it's in their mouth. I particularly just want to thank you for giving me that insight into that experience because despite my 37 years with this illness that I have, um, I've never had ACT. You know, I once wrote about the space between stanzas the eloquent pause that you bring to your readings and the ability to write something without relying on strict rules and punctuation, you, you leave it open to me and I think to the reader. Do you agree with me, Alice? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, th I think a couple of things is, you know, um, I live in a state, uh, Queensland, which 19,000 people a year are given ECT. Most are poorly or not informed or able to give informed consent. It's at about a, you know, I think it's like at about 500% higher rate than all of Great Britain. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a barbaric act, as Hemingway did. It was created out of an Italian watching the tolerance levels of electrocution of pigs in the 30s, which is also referenced in the piece. No 
encountering a mental health episode is an interruption. And, you know, this concept of treatment is a misnomer. You know, um, antipsychotics don't cure anything. They, they numb you and they reduce your ability to function. And while they might alleviate symptoms, they also reduce you. ECT uh, dumbs you down, you know. Um, most of us that have had a mental health episode have been misdiagnosed. There's no real science to this. So hence, why should there be a poetic form to write about it? I mean, the idea that language has to have a certain structure in poetry to me is absurd, particularly when writing about absurd experiences. And, and me mental health itself is, is not, actually, to me, not as absurd as the response to it. So this, this poem isn't really trying to uh, make sense of it or use language in any traditional way. Um, I don't even know if it's a poem, uh, which doesn't worry me. Some people get hung up on this idea of um, uh, form and process. I'm more interested in necessity and responding to things on my own terms rather than others. final part of our episode we tackle the question of writing as therapy and whether that writing has or needs to have any particular value i think writing can be a fantastic form of therapy and can be incredibly cathartic i'm very fortunate to work with the school of hard knocks word on the street who are writers that have come through uh, and been referred by different mental health organizations up here or drug and alcohol. I also, for the past seven years until very recently, worked with the Brotherhood of the Wordless, writers with autism. But my mentality towards that writing is always to approach a writing group as if, as if I am running a writing group with uh, any beginning writers. I don't differentiate as these are writers with mental health issues or with autism precluded from what we consider speech. So my attitude is, this isn't trying to create community art, this is trying to create the best art these writers can create. And at times the art created has absolute value outside of that context as any writers group does. So yes, there's writing as a cathartic exercise, we all do that. I've got thousands of poems that no one should read, including myself. Um, it's about understanding which of those can take that step further to have something universal or isn't just about an internal need. In terms of the merit of a poem, uh, that's, uh, that's something that gets me particularly fiery. You know, like, I think the idea of what is a poem's worth and what a poem is and who decides the merit of a poem is something that particularly poets get obsessed with. I'm more interested in the idea of the reader or audience having exposure to as broader forms and voices within poetry and them deciding the value of that piece of text or that those words in the air for themselves. I think we get very fixated within Australian poetry culture about uh, a poem's merit. And I think, you know, things like everything from the poetry award system, which, you know, at Queensland Poetry Festival, we run awards right through to Poetry Slam, which I've been heavily involved with, creates this idea of, you know, what is something we should aspire towards rather than developing our own sense of what poetry is for us as individual writers. So 
My thing is that somebody with mental health issues can write with write a, absolutely write a legitimate poem, whatever that means. I would also say that the majority of people writing probably already have mental health issues. <laughs> There are poets, if you want to read poetry within Australia, that, that is fantastic in regards specifically to mental health. Books like Karen Knight's Postcards from the Asylum, Tasmanian Poet, fantastic book, one of the, one of the great collection. Um, obviously, Benjamin Freider, um, just read the poem, The Argument, watch the footage that online. Uh, there's a great young emerging poet up here, Anna Jacobson, and the writing she's starting to do about her institutional experiences. So, yes, there is writing for classes. Yes, there are quality poets writing in that area, as there are in every area. And I think less poetry obsesses with the merit of a poem and allows access for more people to find ways into poetry. Whatever that means for them, the better. Baby, it's Queensland Poetry festival is the last uh weekend of august um people are welcome from interstate 75 percent of the sessions are free that's very deliberate to make it democratic in an increasingly commercial world we have to meet certain requirements but we want to make sure access is there for a lot of people and amongst all the very diverse voices are still you know amazing award-winning and renowned Australian and international poets. And collaboratively, they create the distant voices coming together in, in, in an intimate venue. And Tim Heffernan and Closetin Clinic will certainly be one of them and one of the real highlights uh, to, to come along and see. And you can check it all at the website, uh, queenslandpoetryfestival.com. Mm -hmm.